reports out this week paint a pretty interesting picture about Ottawa and climate policies. Apparently, they're failing to deliver on some of them and overstating the effectiveness of others. That, according to these reports, taken together the five reports released Tuesday by the Commissioner of the Environment and Sustainable Development, Jerry Maguire, paint this picture of a government struggling to execute on some pretty critical aspects of its climate agenda. The reports covered several areas, transitioning uh, workers away from fossil fuel industries, the so-called just transition, the greening of government operations, climate resilient infrastructure, hydrogen, and carbon pricing. So to add it all up and tell us what he found, joining me now is Jerry DeMarco, the Commissioner of the Environment and Sustainable Development for the Office of the Auditor General of Canada. Jerry DeMarco, thank you for your time tonight. Thank you for having me. Five reports. It's a lot of work. Uh, I guess taken together, they do paint a picture. Uh, in your estimation, what picture are they painting of the uh, of Ottawa's efforts so far to try to meet these short and long term climate targets? Well, the five uh, the five reports are all in the climate area, as you mentioned, and the the picture is one of of a need for increased transparency and increased effectiveness and increased fairness when it comes to their various initiatives relating to dealing with the climate crisis. One of the areas you did look at was carbon pricing. I know that's one that's been sensitive. It's talked about a lot. Um, what did you find there? I gather there's there's still some gaps and there's still some questions about inequitable in, or equitability. Absolutely. So, you know, effective carbon pollution pricing is key in terms of driving changes in consumer and producer behavior in order to eventually reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So people respond to the price by changing their behavior with uh, purchases and so on. So it's important as an economic lever to, uh, um, to affect change. But we found that the federal requirements for large emitters, for example, this is the big, in- big industrial emitters, they uh, continue to undermine the polluter pays principle in some parts of the country because of the weaker systems in place for large emitters in those regions. I would imagine that fairness is important here if people are going to buy in. Right. So there's the uh, there's the price on carbon for large emitters, and there's a price on carbon carbon that you and I deal with, um, you know, on their home heating bill, for example. It's important that the load be distributed fairly as between big industry and everyday Canadians. And we found problems in that regard, to be frank. Where did you find problems? Where were the the, the fairness issues? So there's the fairness issue as between uh, large producers and uh, everyday Canadians. And then there's also the fairness issue in terms of particular groups. So, for example, Indigenous communities or small and medium-sized businesses are carrying a disproportionate load compared to, say, large emitters. So that's another issue that we found, something that Canada really needs to get right so that this important policy, which should work if done effectively and fairly, has the support of people rather than raising concerns and, and backlash and so on. Another area you looked at was the so-called just transition, which is, in other words, preparing workers in the economy who may find themselves losing their jobs if we shift away from oil and gas, uh, you know, building a pathway for them to find new work. Uh, you found that that has, has stalled. and In fact, it hasn't even really gotten off the ground yet to some extent. 
Yes, uh, very slow out of the gate was Canada with respect to the just transition in terms of action. They committed to it back in 2015 as part of the Paris Agreement. Essentially, it's saying let's let's no, not leave anyone or communities behind as we shift towards a low carbon economy. So that's the theory. The practice is what the where the problem is because we still don't even have the enabling legislation to facilitate the just transition today in 2022 even though the just transition has started, for example, in the coal sector. And we have lessons here. It's not like this is new to us. Uh, I, I realize that you've pointed out in the past that the cod fisheries, for instance, was a perfect example of needing a just transition to make sure uh, that communities aren't left behind. Yeah, and, and today we need a just transition for coal because that phase out has started. We'll need a just transition for other elements of the economy where the the uh, the, the production may shift from from say carbon intensive um, industry to more renewables and so on. We need to have the retraining, the skills development, and the maintenance of good paying jobs. The way that I describe it is, we need to open one door at the same time or even before closing the other instead of closing the door and then scrambling to try to to catch up with people who may have lost their jobs, for example. I think historically, we know what happens when you close one door before you start opening the next one. Uh, you also looked at hydrogen. We talked about hydrogen on the show last night. There was a big conference, a first Canadian hydrogen conference in Edmonton this week. Lots of excitement about it, but you found the federal government's plans around it may be a little too optimistic. What impact could that have? Well, it can have a couple of impacts. One is that they may not meet their targets if they're too optimistic and the, the numbers on paper don't end up to be adding up in practice. It can also, if they're too optimistic, it can also lead to uh, foregoing opportunities for other areas of emissions because there's this hope that hydrogen will fill in the gap, for example. But you know, hope isn't a plan. Hope is a feeling. And I, you know, I have hope as well, but you need a plan to deal with climate change, not just uh, overly optimistic assumptions that, that a technology will help us avoid any of the hard choices that we actually have to make, at least in the next few years. Where did you find those gaps? Where, 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 the, where are things overly optimistic in your eyes? Well, there are problems in both environment and climate change Canada's approach to hydrogen and in natural resources Canada's approach. One predicts a, uh, a potential equivalent of a 15-gigaton reduction by 2030 from hydrogen, and, and natural resource Canada is up to three times that, 45 megatons in the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions through hydrogen use by 2030. So there are you know, two ships passing in the night, one with 15 megaton load and one with a 45 megaton load. We'd like them to get their act together, come up with one number, and a credible one that isn't based on unrealistic assumptions. So when you take these five reports together, uh, you, you talked a bit about what they say for now. What would you like to see done to try to start fixing some of these issues? Well, these reports are a type of a midterm report card. So this isn't a backwards looking audit that's looking just for mistakes that were made in the past and, and uh, you know, ascribing fault and so on. We're trying to help improve outcomes because we don't want to issue like we did last year, another report saying another 30 years of failure and so on, like we did last year. We'd like to audit these programs at an early stage to provide Parliament, Canadians and the government with useful information that can be used before the clock runs out, because we don't want to have to issue another report several years from now as to why they failed once again. I, I suppose when you when you look at it all together, where do you think 
the problems lie? Is it just, is it coordination? Well, that's one of them. It's funny that you mentioned that because we, we issued a report last fall on all of the lessons learned from the first 30 years of failure to meet targets in Canada, with Canada being the only G7 country with rising emissions since uh, the climate convention was signed 30 years ago. So that is one of the eight lessons learned. There's a lot of other lessons learned too in terms of uh, failure to deal with long-term issues so like the interests of future generations, the failure to make realistic plans rather than just plans that add up on paper, but not in practice. But coordination and leadership, as you mentioned, those are key as well. And they're, they're also found in our fall 2021 report on this. Jerry DeMarco, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you, Ben.